You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 34 of the Girls on the Grid podcast. My name is Priya, and I'm here with my co-host, Tanea. 34 episodes. Can you believe we're still doing this? It feels really weird. Like, it's going really quick. I remember episode 10 thinking... Oh, I can't believe we've done this. Like, this is, it feel, felt like it had taken so long to get to. I can't believe we're still committed. I know. Uh, honestly, like. I did not have this much faith in us. <laughs> neither did I. That's actually, it's really bad, isn't it, <laughs> that we say that. But um, So bad. Honestly, and with the way the year's gone and the way we've both just gotten busier and busier and now we're, we're at the peak right now. How fast has this year gone? Yeah, it, it's crazy. Good Lord. How is it Bathurst week next week? That's what I mean, like 30, well, nearly 35 episodes. We did miss one. So, guys, we, have, uh, we had a good reason as to why we missed that. But, like, I guess it feels, I kind of think that the year went faster in terms of motor racing because we finished so late last year. Like, we had a Bathurst in December. So, really, it hasn't even been a year since we were at the mountain for the 1000 it's been that's it it's come it's around been so nine fast. months or you know 10 months so the fact that we're already coming back and we're having to do it again good lord i mean i've been to bathurst like three times for other events like 12 hour the six hour i think i went to the 12 hour that was it and then gonna go to the international at the end of the year good lord my god we seem like we're winning a lot for people who have the best job in the world so let's stop that I know. I need to remind myself of that as well. This is okay. This feels weird because we haven't done this together in so long. I know we've been slack. We have been slack, but we're here. And what's been going on in your life? Oh, what is what has been going on? So, for context, it is a Sunday after the AFL Grand Final, and my weekend. And where were you last night? To hell, I was in bed, Priya. I was in bed like a good girl at nine p.m. Tell us where you were before then. I was not in bed, guys. I really was not. Uh, so we went out. Uh, we watched the grand final on the couch. And then when Sydney got absolutely obliterated, I cried a little bit because my sports bet account took a big hit. Like I had really backed them and they just let me down. Do you go, wait, do you go for Sydney? No, I go for Western Bulldogs, but okay. I wanted Sydney to beat Geelong, right. which is kind of ironic how the rest of my night unfolded. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And then we went temping bowling. Uh, that was fun. Then we went to the arcade. That was fun. And then we ended up just sitting in like a bar and I was just chatting to a friend and I was like, what you doing? And he's like, I'm at the after party. We were like. The after party. The after party. We're like, where's that? He's like, Geelong. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Now, for context, this friend does work for the Geelong Cats, so he wasn't just a rando. Um, and then we jumped in the car. Shout out to Chloe Duke, who stayed sober and desoed for us. What a gem. <laughs> Did she drive you guys around? She drove us around. Oh we paid God. her. We gave her money for tolls and fuel <laughs> She's like and your stuff. Uber. And, yeah, we just rolled up at Geelong at, like, midnight, went into this after party. Like, the whole team, the whole team is in this room there's maybe like three four hundred people in this big like corporate function area and the whole Geelong Cats team is there they're all wearing their medals they're still in their um they're still in their Guernseys and footy God, boots and stuff. as well 
Good lord, they're tall. My they're scary. God. Yeah. They're very scary. Um, and that was just really cool. You know, the grand final is obviously a huge thing here in Australia and especially in Victoria. So the fact that, like, I think the MCG was sold out, was like 100,000 people there. Uh, and then, like, me, my roommate, and a friend, we ended up in this uh, this official after party with the team that just won the premiership. Crazy night, um, but it was super fun. Uh, all my actual AFL friends who like follow the cats and stuff were like, "I hate you!" Like, wh- like how is that? How did you do that? Just have the most I'm random like, life. Just the most random things happen. I have a very random life. It's so funny. Like, I just don't. Sometimes I sometimes I look back and I'm like, "How did that happen?" And then I just. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty epic weekend. Priya, you did not have an epic weekend. I know. I actually, I said to Tanae last night, I was like, oh, send me Snapchats. But then I actually was, I just turned off the socials because I was like, oh, you're kidding. I did invite her out. She did not come out. Yeah, for the last week and a half, I've had this horrible flu. What's new? Every time I come on this podcast, I'm sick. I you're swear. Sick. But um, yeah, I've freaking got like the next strain of the COVID flu. It's not a COVID thing, but whatever's Don't mutated. Don't say that. You can't say the... that word anymore. No, but whatever's mutated over the COVID period, it just keeps coming back for me. It loves me. Excuse me, excuse me, girl. You gotta get your shit together because we go to Bathurst next week. So exactly, if you can pull exactly. Your shit together, that'd be good. And I'm trying to tell myself that if I went out last night, I would the recovery would be longer for Bathurst. But today I was out cleaning tires. I don't know if you saw on my on my dad's Instagram. I was out cleaning tires, and he posted a photo of me, and I just felt so <laughs> weird. I was like soaking wet. I I looked awkward, and I'm dad's like smile. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh god, yeah, great. Piss but off. um, yeah, that's that's the most I've done in a week and a half. Like I've just been, I, I actually, I did have sand down, and I was very sick for that. And I did go to the Winton test day earlier this week and she was very sick for that and then she you woke up the next day she was very sick again she woke up too excited she was very sick again <laughs> freaking still you've heard of doctors priya priya I did, i've been doctor. to the doctors twice and they refused to give me antibiotics i got some tests done the other day but they refused to give me antibiotics and i'm like you oh i just yeah anyway but i'm actually i'm feeling better today i'm just tired after cleaning those tires i had to go and sit down and have a nap <laughs> Oh my god! You're like an 80 year old. Seriously, I know, I know. But yeah, it's um, everyone's getting prepped for Bathurst. We've got our caravan. We're getting the caravan sorted. Getting the 86 sorted. I've got, I think, a couple shoots this week, and then just editing. And then I drive up with the team on next Tuesday. Not this Tuesday coming. The next one. That must be that must be nice. We go on Sunday. Oh, you go on Sunday. They go on Why? Sunday, yeah. Oh, but you've got like it's just repco stuff yeah. that needs to be done Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but for this week's guest. Oh wait, is this a podcast? Is this like a guest podcast? Do we have guests on this, or do we just talk about our social lives? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I forgot it wasn't just about us. <laughs> Let's get into it because we have uh, quite a good episode ahead. But for this week's guest, we had Coral Taylor who is an Australian rally co-driver having driven with Neil Bates and they have won four Australian rally championships together and she is the daughter of 
Norm Fritter, who was also a rally driver. And she is the mother of Australian rally champion and one of our previous guests, Molly Taylor. Talk about good bloodlines in the Taylor family when it comes to rally. Good Lord. I know. I know they're just it's it's so cool actually and she's also married to she's also married to a rally driver oh just rally blood how good now for this episode uh we have split into two parts because it was a really really good chat and honestly like we didn't really want to stop talking to Coral you need to absorb the information like it's she she just had a lot of good things to talk about like she told us some really cool stories like I'm sitting there and I she told us a story the story about where they went barrel rolling through a thing because and she just says it she, so casually too she's like oh yeah we rolled like i don't know 10 15 times I'm 10 like, times oh, and then when we okay? stopped <laughs> and then when we stopped we were like she was like the car was pretty beat up me and priya were like but were you alive <laughs> like who gives a damn about the car are you okay she's like, oh, was such fine. a badass like, all right such a badass because <laughs> not only did she preface the fact that like it, the field was like full of tree stumps and we're like that's not pleasant that would not be pleasant yeah no but yeah, it was a great chat. It was a really cool chat. And I think we'll just press play button on that right now. So this week on the podcast, we have a very special guest. It's an absolute honor for Priya and myself to have the one and only Coral Taylor as this week's pod guest. Coral, welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, us getting this podcast done has been a scheduling nightmare to get both of us here and to fit in with your busy schedule. And then we just jumped on to record this podcast and we have had tech dramas from tech dramas and it just took us so long, but we're here now. So let's make it an awesome episode. So Coral, you have a huge rallying background. Your dad was a rally driver, your husband, Mark, and your daughter, Molly, as well. Australian rally champions but how did the love for rally originally come about for you? Well I didn't actually have any love for rally initially you know growing up with a dad that was rallying I think as a child you just think well that's what dads do you know I didn't have a particular interest in it you know we went to various events as kids but certainly it wasn't really on my radar and so that was sort of in the 60s and we were living in South Australia And my dad then did some of the marathon events. um, And the last one he had done at that point was the 1970 Round Australia trial. And then he retired from the sport. And then over the next few years, we moved and we were living in Queensland. And nine years later, they had the Repco Round Australia reliability trial. And over dinner one night, my dad said, oh, they're having another Round Australia trial. Um, I'm going to do it. And I was 18 by then. And I said, oh, you know, that sounds like an adventure. I'll come with you. But, you know, it was idle dinner table chat. I didn't really think it would happen. And at the time I was saving for my first car. And within a couple of weeks, Dad and I had gone halves in buying a rally car together. Um, And basically my life totally changed because suddenly I was spending every weekend in the garage with Dad preparing this car to go on this big adventure with him which at the time for me was really just seen as a one-off we were going in this big rally we were going to drive around Australia um, and that was it and so I joined a local car club joined the Brisbane Sporting Car Club in Brisbane um, took a few 
navigating lessons and dad and I competed in a couple of events just to try and bed that process down but seriously until the first day I ever sat in that car on a test was the first time I'd actually sat in the in a car that was driving fast on a gravel road and I was so shocked because I really had no idea what it would be like so suddenly I went for a drive in this car and thought holy heck and we did a couple of rallies and then we set off on our big adventure but still at that point to me that was that was it once that was over that would be the end of my involvement so if you ask where did my love start it it started in in that event and it's just kind of you know you do something that's so different so different from anything you ever imagined and you absolutely loved it so once you do that you want to do more sounds like an awesome way to grow up bonding I guess with with your father through you know it wasn't really a love for you until until it became a love what do you remember about those you know early days when you just start you know Brisbane car club and all that sort of stuff what are you know the key moments that you remember from that time um, look, there's a lot of them. The big thing, the difference between now and then is that back then the car club would meet once a week. I mean, these days a lot of clubs meet once a month, sometimes once a quarter. But that once a week meeting was the absolute centre of our social lives. You know, the friends that you made and the nights. You wouldn't have missed a Wednesday night at the car club for anything. And the other thing that's... Um, really interesting is that I saw my dad as a completely different person once I competed with him because I mean anybody who knows my dad he was a bit of a larrikin and a bit of a rough diamond uh, but at home as dad with two small kids you know he was always very polite would never swear in front of the children and and suddenly here I was rallying with him and the expletives were coming out and and I got to see the real person as the adult he was rather than as my father so it was and, and really just then we kind of had this great friendship and we went rallying together and um you know yes he was my dad but he was sort of like my mate that we spent so much time together and it was just fabulous so were there ever any other family involved in the rallying at all growing up no no my mother absolutely hated it um she wouldn't even come and spectate because she would always be in mother worry mode so she would send us off and all she wanted was a phone call when we were finished and that she knew we were okay and that that was you know her entire involvement and my sister um had no interest at all funnily enough though she went on to marry someone who was involved in rallying so um, she sort of kind of ended up on the fringes of the sport anyway. What about for your dad? Did, how did he get into it? Was it just something that he liked and just did it or did it kind of, was there a way it started for him? Uh, do you know, I don't actually know how it started. Um, my family were 10 pound immigrant poms. So my dad, um, you know, when I was three, packed up his family from England and moved to Australia and, you know, the stories of that are quite incredible. You know, where they lived in England, and I've been back there and seen the house, was this gorgeous little house in a little town called Witchich Hill, which was actually up on a hill. Um, no inside bathroom, toilet in the back garden, 
Um, and my mum had had two babies and lived, and both of both my sister and I were born in, you know, Pearl, I think my sister was actually born in one of the worst winters ever in the UK. So you try and imagine a family living in a freezing house that had one tiny little coal fire, you know, and they did seriously used to boil a copper up once a week for the bath. So, you know, all those stories about the once a week bath for the, for the English is very true. Um, and my mum's memories of England are of always being cold. So they suddenly packed up, came to Australia. Dad had come ahead by a few weeks and bought a house, which was a three-bedroom brick and tile in the, in the suburbs. And my mum arrived and thought she'd died and gone to heaven. You know, there was this house, there was a bathroom, the weather was warm. And, you know, my dad's always been a bit of a doer. They, my mum and dad actually hand dug a swimming pool in that backyard. And we have the old Super 8 movies of them with shovels digging the hole. And then my dad formed it up and poured the concrete. So my childhood memories are living in Adelaide, swimming in a backyard pool with all your friends around. Um, and dad would wander off on weekends and go rallying. But I don't actually know how we got into that. At what point after your, you know, formative exposure to motorsport, I guess, at what point did you decide that it's something that you wanted to do professionally? I never had any professional plans. That, that's the, when I look back, you know, it started off looking forward to one event and then wanting to do another event and another event. But it was very much at a club level. Um, we did do, you know, when the round of the Australian Championship was on, we would compete in that. And over the years, we did travel interstate to do a couple of selected other events. But it was very much a hobby. And I think everything that happened to me kind of happened by accident, really. You know, I loved the sport, which is a bit ridiculous when I look back now at the Repco. You know, that was such a hard tough event and you know we were bogged in mud you know we were stuck in sand you were out with sand mats trying to get the car out you know the car caught fire there were were so many things that happened but the biggest thing was how tired you were because you were often going they would they would never do it now you know you would never be allowed to but pretty much you know you could go for 48 hours without sleep and and I sit back and thought, I wonder why I loved it so much because it was absolutely horrendous and I was, I was more tired than I'd ever been in my life. But I think, yeah, the excitement of rallying, the adrenaline, and I think a big thing is the camaraderie between friends and other people. You know, rallying has always had a very strong friendship even between opposing teams and sort of people help people. Um, but from there we just, you know, we just kept doing rallies and then, my dad got really busy with work and couldn't do a few events. And I got a phone call from someone else asking if I would like to do a rally with them. It was actually Peter Markovich, who at the time was a um, uh, the Queensland state champion. Um, so that just sort of came out of the blue. And so then for, you know, maybe a year or so, I competed with, with Peter. And then another friend, Peter Glennie, who is a cotton farmer from Moree who used to compete in the Queensland Championship, rang to ask if I would do an event with him because his co-driver was sick. So it was kind of just odd phone calls and how things happened. And then I competed with Peter Glennie for a few years and we had a fabulous time. And it was with Peter that I won my first round of the 
ARC. Um, and things just progressed from there. Um, after Peter, I was co-driving for Murray Coote in Queensland. And it was while I was co-driving for Murray that I had the phone call from Neil and, and sort of ended up there. But each, each step along the way, there was nothing planned about it. There was no career projection. It was just doing something that I loved that ended up turning into a career. And so you've had some huge success with the Bates family. You've won four championships with Neil and most recently one with Harry co-driving in Tassie. Um, what's it been like working alongside them? You know, I think um, the big thing for me, if I look back on it now, I mean, when I started co-driving for Neil, um, you know, with a driver and co-driver in a car, you know, you spend a lot of time together in a in the environment of that vehicle, you know, whether it's doing recce all day long and then doing events. Um, but it all sort of clicked for us straight away and we won the very first event that we did together. And the team I would describe as fairly family oriented. So it's only in the latter years that I now appreciate that. So we had an opportunity at one point to go and do some work with TTE in Europe. Um, and what I came out of that experience with was we are very lucky to have been a team where, yes, there was this family environment, everyone was great friends, everyone dug in. So it didn't matter, you know, if you were the engine builder, you sometimes would still help wash the truck, et cetera, et cetera. And my experience with the WRC team is that it's very segmented. You know, if you're the guy working on the front right corner, well, that's all you do and you don't have any involvement in anything else. And also in that environment, you're at the whims of the people controlling that team. Whereas for us, we were in control of our own destiny. You know, Toyota Australia were our major sponsor, but we ran the team and we were in control of what was happening. And that's pretty special. And I, But I think if you look at most rally teams, you know, there's a lot of privateer teams out there or teams, you know, that have some decent sponsorship. But at the end of the day, the teams are their own entity and, and they're in control of everything. And I think I've been very lucky to have spent, so it's getting on to almost 30 years now, it's 28 years, I think, um, with Neil Bates Motorsport. And, you know, that, that's actually been a privilege to work with all those people. And we've, we've been really lucky for the longevity of that relationship and also the longevity of the relationship with Toyota. So for those listening who don't know, um, I've done a fair bit of work with Toyota this year at the rallies and I've seen you doing a fair bit of running around with the Bates family at the rallies um, and at the 86 events as well. So at those rounds or at the rallies when you're not in the car, what is it that you usually get up to? Um, well, I'm sort of the odds and ends person. I think, you know, when we were competing um, in the ARC, I was co-driving for Neil, but I was also effectively managing the team. So, you know, we have Daryl at the workshop for all those years that was managing the technical side. But when it comes to logistics and everything else with regards to planning for an event, that, that was my role. So now... I've kind of stepped out of the car mostly, except for a few on get back in, but I'm basically sort of permanently now on that other side of the fence. So my role is more in the planning of logistics um, 
and like I said, in our team, everyone does a bit of everything, um, you know, whether it's make lunch for people or do the admin thing. Um, you know, my other, my hobby has always been truck driving. So we've started years ago with Neil. Um, so, you know, even now for the 86 rounds and for the rallies, um, I take the team transporter to each event, which, which I love, you know, that's, that's a job I really, really enjoy. And I think, you know, if you've ever done long haul in a truck, you get to see the country. That, that's actually the time when you can relax, when everything, you know, you're not sitting at your desk, you're not dealing with a whole lot of people. Although, you know, these days with the fact that mobile phone range is so much better, you, you do end up sort of kind of never really out of that loop. Whereas years ago, our favourite trip was driving to Perth because things were really, really busy and you'd have 10 phone calls a day from Toyota and you'd be going from, you know, this to that and the other thing. And we used to think, gosh, we just want to get in the trucks and just drive off and go out of phone range for a couple of days and, and chill. Um, I think, you know, I admire those people that drive trucks for a living. I think if you did that every day, it would be awfully tiring. But when you just do one trip a month, you can actually really enjoy it. So, you know, my roles are pretty varied. Sounds like you get up to a lot. So Coral Taylor, not only can she rally, she can also drive trucks. What can't she do? <laughs> we were talking before about my daughter Molly and doing um, pit lane reporting. That's one <laughs> job I couldn't do. I could not get my brain straight to be able to deal with talking to people and interviewing while some other voices in your ears on a little set of headphones, you know, barking instructions or information. We found the limit. We found the limit of something that Coral can't do. But have you tried? Have you tried? No. Oh, no. I mean, even when we had our technical issues earlier on, just that little bit of feedback that was happening in the microphones, that was enough to put me. <laughs> no worries. We'll leave that to Molly. Now, speaking of Molly, a few months ago for episode 17 of the Girls in the Group podcast, we had the honour of actually sitting down and doing an episode with your daughter, uh, Molly Taylor. Now, if you don't know, Molly Taylor is pretty badass. Like we love her here at Girls on the Grid. She is a force. She's a rally driver and she is, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to cut this little bit out, but she's the first ever female, only ever, what's yeah, first and only. When when yeah. she won the Australian Championship, she at the time she was the youngest ever winner of the championship and the first female to win the championship. Female, first female driver. There have been female co-drivers, but the first female driver. Perfect. Okay, let me reword that so I make sure I get that all correct. I didn't have the research. I was like, I'm just going to wing it and hope for the best here. <laughs> now, Molly Taylor, she is also a rally driver. She is a Australian rally champion, the first female and only female ever to be a driver and win that championship. And she was also the youngest to ever win that championship. That is a pretty big feat. What was that experience like? Obviously, raising Molly, your husband was a rally driver. You co-drove, uh, navigated. What was that experience like to watch, you know, obviously raise Molly? but then watch her also go down this rally path that, that you guys had been on for so long. It's been a pretty incredible journey, really. Um, Molly's um, 
Look, Molly, for all of her childhood and her early teenage years, she wasn't actually interested in motorsport and driving. She was only interested in horses. So she was a three-day eventer and her life... Sounds like prayer. She chose to go to a boarding school in Armidale because they had an equestrian program and she could take us her horse to school with her. So that was her life, seven days a week. And it was actually... Um, my husband, Mark, had a rally school at the time and he wanted both of our girls to go and do a weekend course with the rally school, purely aimed at giving them some driving skills because they were... I don't know, must have been sort of 15, 16 years old or whatever at the time, to just get some driving skills and life skills and a bit of preparation before, you know, getting a licence and driving on the road. That, that was his reason for taking them there. But the funniest, the funniest thing was when they came home from that day because at the time, you know, I was taking Molly to horse events and so we were like the, you know, Land Cruiser and a horse float on the back. So if you put that into rally turns in the service park, that's the, you know, the club competitor down the back who's got a tow vehicle and a trailer and a rally car. And then you looked at the other end where the manufacturer teams were and they've got big trucks and smart looking tents and areas and so forth. So we used to get arrive at a, a horse event and we'd walk through the service park, except I always got in trouble for calling it the service park because you obviously don't call it that in, um, in the horse world. But we would walk around and we would admire these amazing horse trucks. And Molly used to always say to me, oh, one day we're going to have a truck, you know, like that one. Anyway, she goes off and does this day at the rally school. And when they got home that night, she came running in the door at full speed, full volume. And she said, mum, mum, you know how, you know that horse truck we're going to get? She said, well, I reckon we should get one with those dividers that you can remove so that on some weekends we can put the horse in it, on other weekends we could put a car in it. And it was really at that point that I knew that, you know, life was about to change. But what she did then, the, the problem we had at that point was she then started coming home from Marmadale every weekend because she wanted to work with Mark at the rally school. So she'd be the girl running around putting out witches' hats and doing that sort of thing. But during the lunch break, she was allowed to take the car and, and drive. Um, so she wanted to come home and do that every weekend, but she was still trying to compete with her horses. And it kind of all came to a head. We went down to do an international um, horse event in Canberra and she performed fairly poorly. And because she's so competitive, she, she was a bit dirty on the way home. And I said to her, I said, well, I think you know, you have two hobbies that are very consuming and require a lot of work. And you've spent so much time, she was spending night times in the garage working on a car as well at the time. I said, you know, you would always be working your horse every day. Now you're not. So you're going to have to choose because you can't do these, can't do both these sports and do well. You're going to have to choose one or the other. And seriously, at that point, I would have bet my house on her choosing the horses because there's a whole lot of backstory to the horses and what had happened and all these things but I she was so dedicated to it I was absolutely shocked when she chose um, to go rallying and she actually sold her float and her horse and used the money and bought her first car that's so cool that's so I, I think I went through a similar thing as well I found 
I guess motorsport and equestrian, they're quite similar in a lot of ways. Mm. Like even in the way where you were saying, you know, there's, there's the people that are really good and they've got the big fancy trucks and the the nice horses. It's the same as the people who've just got, you know, a bit of money behind them in motorsport and can have that, that little bit extra, but yeah, it's definitely, um, they're both sports that require a lot of energy and a lot of work. It would have been hard to do both for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, Priya, that she's always said that's quite similar is comparing the cross-country component of a three-day event with yeah. rally. And she said that whole concept so of, of the adrenaline, but also, you know, you're always looking ahead at the next thing that's happening. And she she applied a lot of that cross-country stuff. I've thought the, the exact same, though. Being a horse person and being at rally, I have thought a lot, this is so similar to eventing. Mm. Like even yeah. the the service park as well, yeah. and then going out, yeah. No, that's yeah. really cool. That's really yeah. cool. And so you've yeah. seen Molly; she's had so much success in, in everything she's done, from horses to rally, everything. But she's also she's now on the broadcast team for Stan Sport. So how's that been for you, watching her kind of go full circle and now in the media as well? Yeah, well, you know, she's gone full circle, but she. You know, her the driving is still her passion. So, um, but you know, if I look back at her career and what she's done, I, I've said it before. I don't know anyone else that's worked as hard to do their motorsport as what Molly has to make things happen. And there have been so many times over the years where she'd walk in the door with some crazy idea. So she had done a year in um, England competing in the Suzuki Swift Cup which was, you know, a one-make series in the British Rally Championship. And at the end of that year, she came home, having almost won the series. The only thing that stopped her from winning that championship was that um, a fuel pump failed in the last round and the, and the car ground to a halt. And sadly, the prize money from that win, had she won, would actually have helped fund her into the next year. So she arrived home from England, um, you know, quite devastated that the year had ended as it had. But in the meantime, she had been offered, um, the McCormick family in Ireland had actually offered her the use of a Citroen C2 for the following year. So the deal was come and do the British Championship in the Citroen One Make Series. Here's the car and you just give it back to us at the end of the year you know, in the condition that we've given it to you. So that that was huge. And she ran in the door basically at Christmas saying, I've worked it out. I need to, I can't remember now whether, I think it was about $80,000. I need to raise $80,000 to do the year. I think it's the figure. And that was sort of GFC times, you know, sponsorship was really difficult. And, and when she said it, I thought, well, I know how hard it is to get sponsorship at the moment. There's there's no way that you'll actually do it. But I didn't say that to her. But she's so flippant determined. Anyway, she sat down and for the two weeks before Christmas, she started up a supporters club, rang everybody she knew. And by Christmas Day, she got 40 grand. She got half of it together. And I thought, holy heck. So by the time she went back to England, she still didn't have the full amount, but it was, you know, it was, she's just, look, I'll go and I'll do it and I'll start it and we'll just see what happens along the way. And then so, you know, 
she spent a lot, quite a few years away from home, you know, usually working multiple jobs in between rally. You know, in the Suzuki Swift years, she didn't have enough sponsorship to do that whole event or to pay someone to prep that car for her. So she would go in every day to the workshop and work on the car herself and then just pay people to do the things she wasn't capable of, like building an engine or whatever. So it was just like this whirlwind of determination and just absolute grit to get out there and try and make it all work however you can do that. And it's worked for her. You know, it's, it's all paid off and, and hard work usually never goes unnoticed. If you had to pick one bit of advice that you have given Molly, you know, supporting her through everything that she's been through in her career and obviously seeing, you know, your dad go through the same relatively similar career path and your husband as well, and you even as well, what would be that piece of advice that, that you gave her throughout her career? I guess the one thing I've always said to her is just enjoy, you know, because often there's a lot happening or there's not enough money or there's some issues and there's car issues or whatever. And so you end up in a fairly stressful environment. So my advice to her was always just enjoy what you're doing. You have to really enjoy it, even though there's all these hassles and things are going wrong or, you know, there's a problem with a car, you know, you have to try and, just remember always why you're doing it and essentially you're doing it because you love it so you have to enjoy it and you know there have been times when there's been lots of really stressful things going on and you know she probably hasn't enjoyed some things but you do sit back and look at it and go you know I even sit back now and look at you know during the heyday of our Toyota years life was so busy and it was seven days a week and there was so much going on that there are times when you sort of question, why am I doing this? But it was always when you actually sat in the car on the start line, you went, oh, that's why I do all this, because I want to get to this point. This is, this is what I enjoy. So you have to do the hard work and the not fun work and the not glamorous work to get to that point. And so that's always been my advice, you know. And she always said, you know, people have said to her, why, you know, what do you like about rallying? And essentially for her, it all comes back to the enjoyment of that feeling of driving a car on a gravel surface. So, you know, I think in anything in life, you know, do what you enjoy, even if it requires a bit of hard work and, you know, the path is not easy along the way. Isn't it crazy though, the lengths that everyone goes in motorsport? I've mentioned this a few times, but the lengths people go just to like get cars on a racetrack, just to make it go really fast and try to be in front of everyone. That's really all we're doing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all of those people are doing all of that because they enjoy driving that car on the racetrack. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So guys, there is a whole nother part to this podcast that will come out next Monday. So stay tuned for that. And you know what? We will talk to you guys next week. You've just listened to another Network R production. 